Kate is a duly certified SLP BCBA with 15 years of clinical experience working in private practice, outpatient clinics, outpatient hospital settings, and consulting to private schools and legal teams. She specializes in augmentative alternative communication, supporting individuals with complex communication needs and integrating AAC into educational, vocational, and behavioral programming. Her private practice, Grand Bois Therapy and Consulting LLC, focuses on multidisciplinary treatment, collaboration, and mentorship. She has served on the AAC Working Group for Massachusetts Advocates for Ch Children as adjunct faculty at Northeastern University and is the former president and co-founder of the Speech and Language Network Incorporated. Welcome, Kate. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to meet you and be here and collaborate and what you're doing just sounds awesome and I'm happy to be here. So I love the SLP Nerdcast. Uh, I love the title of that alone. <laughs> what inspired you and your co-founder, Amy, to start that? That is a great question. So Amy and I have been friends for a very long time now, probably going on 15 years. And she taught me everything I know about AAC. We had worked together. She was my mentor in a lot of different ways. And we were always having these, what we called nerdy conversations about speech and language pathology, everything from professional issues to, you know, difficult situations we were in professionally, clinical problems we were trying to solve. Um, and we realized, and we were also simultaneously feeling really grumpy feelings about the landscape of professional development and continuing education. Now, this was pre-pandemic before we all moved into a Zoom room. Um, so, you know, we were just really sort of tired of all the barriers that were surrounding gaining access to knowledge. And we decided one day that we should make a podcast and try and remove some of those barriers and make it easier for SLPs to gain access to the knowledge that they need. So SLP Nerdcast was born right before February, 2020, right before we all went into lockdown yep. unknowingly. <laughs> Um, and it's grown a lot since then. It's morphed and changed like so many projects. Um, podcast is still, you know, one of our, our biggest avenues, but um, that that's how it started. It was just a nerdy chat between two good friends. I, I love that. And the timing of that was almost perfect too. You did it before, right before the pandemic hit and everything yeah. had to switch too. <laughs> Yes. Although, yes. you know, it was really, it was hard to get off the ground. I mean, you know, as I'm mm -hmm. sure you're familiar, creating new platforms and, you know, getting your voice out there is, is it was a hustle. So the pandemic um, in, a, in one way helped us along because we found ourselves with a lot of extra time at home all of a sudden to produce a lot of content. Um, but yeah, it was, it was an interesting, it was an interesting time <laughs> to say the least. Yes, <laughs> for sure. How do you see the market for the CEUs changing in this post-pandemic world if we're actually post-pandemic yet? I'm not sure. I know we're sort of in that gray area, right? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So that's a really good question. And I, I am very curious to see how things change. I think for one, in-person conferences, I'm not sure that, for example, ASHA will ever go back to 100% in-person I think a lot of bigger conferences, now that they have 
invested in the infrastructure to offer, offer virtual platforms. They're reaching larger audiences. I would imagine that they're finding either a reduction in their overhead or a bigger punch to their bottom line by giving more people access. So from a continuing education standpoint, I think, you know, we're all, we've all become accustomed to this virtual way of communicating and learning. And I mean, even, even in my doctor's office, they're now offering virtual visits all the time, even right. though I can certainly go in. So mm -hmm. I think that that's a big difference because we're on a three-year cycle in speech language pathology in terms of continuing education. I'm not mm -hmm. really sure we will know exactly how it's changed for another year or two. You know, there were different pockets of people consuming continuing education through the pandemic. So some people really took advantage of the free ASHA pass, which by the way, was a freemium marketing strategy, even though they tried to box it up, like it was something nice they were doing for everyone for their <laughs> own internal products. Uh, and, you know, some people consumed all their 30 hours within a short period of time. Um, because they were sitting home, unable to work, while other people were taking care of children, trying to adjust to telehealth and not consuming any professional development. So I think the pandemic did influence the market. And I, I'm not really sure how what we'll see on the other end, but what we'll see. I, I think in general, you know, as SLPs, I think the primary bulk of our professional development up until the pandemic was webinars. So speechpathology.com, speech therapy PD, the ASHA pass got released right after the pandemic started. So I think the primary modalities were webinars and in-person conferences prior to the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, since then podcasts, I think there are now, we were one of the first, if not the first to be primarily, you know, our own ASHA CE providers. Um, there were some podcasts that were out there and I think that that has increased. So I've seen a lot more podcasts for education, um, which is another modality. I think that one of the issues in our current landscape of professional development is a focus on the knowledge and not the skill. Um, through what I call unidirectional learning. So being a passive learner, staring at a screen, listening to a podcast, and not really participating. Um, our field doesn't necessarily embrace mentorship, for example, um, or you know, creating bi-directional learning spaces where you have an opportunity to have vulnerable feelings and make mistakes and try something new for the first time. I mean, there are a lot of components that happen in adult learning to really create a rich learning environment. I mean, think about how we think of our students and clients, right? We're taught to meet them where they are as learners, push them into their zone of proximal development. We need to be doing that for ourselves too, as because we are also learners. And I'm hopeful that with a lot of advocacy and people starting to have these conversations, some of those more robust learning opportunities that address the, not just the knowledge, but the skills will become more available. Sorry, that was a really long answer to no, a very short question. All of that was, <laughs> no, all of that was perfect because I, I think it is a longer answer. I, I wonder about those states though that have the in the live in-person requirements. I'm not in any of those states, but um, mm -hmm. I'm wondering how those are going to be impacted because I, I don't know how many hours they require, but I know that there's several states. There are some that are, have a solid handful. I know Maine is one. I believe California mm -hmm. is one. From what I understand, people have been consuming live webinars and those count. So things okay. that are not recorded and played asynchronously um, and those have counted. 
what's hard about that is that you have to have the time in your schedule, right? You have to be available when the webinar is reported. I don't think that in-person learning will ever go away. Right. I know that people in those states have had to overcome that as a barrier and a hurdle through the pandemic when in-person learning wasn't an option. Um, but there and, are live events yeah. out there as options over Zoom. Yeah, I, I really like the mobility that you offer with the SLP Nerdcast though, because it's a podcast that I can download and listen to. I'm in the car a lot between three different buildings. I was driving three hours a day. <laughs> so a there's lot. a lot, that's a lot of time that I could use to further my career. I could further other things as well. But, um, and so that, that was a brilliant idea, <laughs> by the way. Yeah. And I like that. I like that mobility a lot. I want you to talk a little bit about that, the, the, the gap between research and practice. I, I like what you were saying about the difference in learning and we need to apply that to ourselves. We do it for our kids. Let's do it for ourselves as well. Um, mm -hmm. And so uh, I feel like that gap in research and practice can, is, is affected by that a little bit. Do you have any thoughts on that? I have, I have too many thoughts about the research to practice gap. I've been studying this a lot recently with mm -hmm. a colleague and friend um, who's an implementation scientist. And the research to practice gap is a really complex problem. Um, we recently released an episode on this and had a, a few posts on our social media platforms about how the research to practice gap is such a complex problem However, it is often implied that it's a clinician's fault because we just need to read more research, right? We often mm -hmm. think of evidence mm -hmm. as an external research document, even though research isn't necessarily written for us, right? The, the findings can be really difficult to digest. Um, funny enough, this our interest and participation in these projects related to closing the research to practice gap started because in one of our episodes, we were reviewing a piece of literature related to AAC. And Amy, who's way nerdier than me, got all into the statistics and we were having a conversation about it. And I said, well, this is so boring. I didn't read it. I flipped to the end, read the discussion to figure mm -hmm. out what was usable. And I sort of made, uh, poked a little bit of fun at the article. Well, the author of the article heard the podcast, heard me make fun of the article, heard me basically put my foot in my mouth and sent us the warmest, most lovely note. Of course it was, of course it was hard to read. It wasn't written for you. This is, this is, you're, there's, you're absolutely right. She completely validated all of our feelings. And it started a lot of these conversations related and a lot of these relationships with researchers and trying to normalize some of that. So um, it's a, another very long answer to a very short question, but it's, um, the research to practice gap is really complicated. It's not a clinician, not at all a clinician's fault. There are barriers at the level of infrastructure related to paywalls with research. There are barriers at the researcher level in terms of funding and there's barriers at the dissemination level. So it takes 17 years um, for a piece of published research to become everyday practice. So Which this is, is a crazy amount of time. I mean, it's a crazy I amount been, of time. I haven't even been practicing it's, that long. <laughs> it's a crazy yeah. amount of time. And, mm -hmm. you know, there are barriers at our level too. I have a colleague here. I bring her up like every podcast episode. She's going to kill me. But there's a, I have a colleague here in Massachusetts who works in a public school and she's a caseload of 146. 
She is not reading research in her spare time. She's crying in her car as Asha has so kindly instructed her to do. So there are workload conditions, caseload conditions. There are a lot of barriers at the individual clinician level. And yet it's implied that it's our responsibility to just read more research in, a, in some situations. So I think in terms of um, solving the research to practice gap, there are a lot of things that we can do as clinicians. And I know you didn't ask me for ask me this question, but I'm going to say it anyway. So it. number one, we can um, try and find what's called a knowledge broker. So advocate in your setting to have your speech department head or someone in your administration actively look for research that applies to your setting and disseminate to your group. So create relationships with people who can actively help you get information. That's number one. Uh, if you want to learn more about knowledge brokering, Natalie Douglas just published a paper on it. Douglas et al. 2022. It's so good. I can get you a reference for that. Uh, the second thing that clinicians can do is consume information from resources that are actively disseminating EBP because not everything we read on the internet is true, right? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> uh, this is especially true on social media and in Facebook groups where information is not regulated. Some examples would be the informed SLP. Our platform is deeply rooted in EVP. Honeycomb speech therapy is one, speech bite is one. So there are a variety of different platforms out there whose sole purpose is to take research and disseminate it. Did I already say the informed SLP? That's like one of the biggest ones. The only one I had actually heard of out of that list. Uh, yep. Um, I, I, my career has been in adults for the last several years. Okay. So I know a lot of those were for pediatrics. So I'm like, I don't know who is available for adult. <laughs> the informed yeah. SLP does have an adult platform. Okay. Um, and I believe she must've just added that. I think she must've just added that because in the so last year and a half, maybe, mm -hmm. um, and speech bite, I believe has EVP related to adults. So there are decent, there are a handful of these companies were also brokered knowledge, mm -hmm. disseminating the right EVP. Um, I think the other thing that we can do is give ourselves a break. This is really hard. Um, and you know, if you mm -hmm. can find a piece of literature and break off one nugget and actually apply it by identifying the barriers in your setting, what's going to prevent me from, from what, what resources do I need or what hurdles do I have to overcome to actually take what's in this article or take whatever and, and apply it, that's also massively successful. We don't have to be, as you, I, I think you had mentioned in some of our previous correspondence, this concept of being a general SLP, our scope of practice is massive. It's impossible for us to know everything. So giving ourselves a break and taking off, you know, breaking off one knowledge nugget and actively applying it and measuring that for success is actually a huge accomplishment. Mm -hmm. And we should feel very proud of ourselves for doing that. Um, so I'm that was and again a long rant, but I couldn't help myself. I like the rants to be perfectly. Honest. Okay, good. <laughs> That's good. good. I'm, in, I'm in the right place then. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yes, and and you have so much value to add to that. I can I can tell. But going back to the generalist, um, yeah, that's something that I feel like um, in my career, um, I have been the only speech therapist in the building. And sometimes in multiple buildings. And so I don't have that hard. time to become super specialized in one area. Uh, my career has been more adult-based. So I have more of a focus, I guess you could say on the dysphagia and the dementia and the, um, you know, post-stroke and things like that. But 
Yeah. So like then there, then I have a patient that has a voice disorder that I have not seen a voice disorder <laughs> and I can't uh-uh. send them to somebody else because they, no. the closest person is an hour and a half away. Um, I have to find something to do with this person. Otherwise I feel it, but at the same time, I also want to provide the best service that I can. And I've, mm-hmm. I've turned to a lot of CEUs specifically for whatever that person's dealing mm-hmm. with so that I can handle that situation. Um, mm-hmm. I'm in a very rural area, so I don't have yeah. like the resources that, you know, some people in the city might, might have. <laughs> so. Sure. And that's an ethical issue too, because you're obligated to, you know, make the referral if it's outside of your scope of practice, but if making a referral is not going to give that person access to care because you're working in Alaska and there just isn't anybody or not that Alaska <laughs> doesn't have people in it, but you know, you're in a remote area right. where someone has barriers to get like a ferry ride or, you know, long travel, or there's a big expense and cost to go get that specialized care. Then it is your responsibility mm-hmm. um, to provide that care. And I, I think that that's a really good question. And again, a really big problem in our field. And I I think the answer to that is twofold. Number one, and they're related to each other. Number one, embracing the silver lining of the pandemic with virtual care. So find a mentor. You just got someone on your caseload who who has a voice disorder or you suspect a voice disorder, or maybe you're like, "I I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I'm feeling very overwhelmed. And you're the only SLP, reach out to somebody make those contacts, do the networking, Google it. Uh, I know this takes a lot of time and resources away from your own practice, but it's also an opportunity for learning. Most people, so as part of our nerd casting project, I, we cold call, I, I think I've cold called over 200 people in the last like year and a half. People that most of the time are super nice and most of the time are excited to share their knowledge with someone. So if you have the resources to Google it, find a voice specialist. I'm just going to keep using that example. Finding a voice specialist in your area, um, hopefully in your state, who's also licensed in your state and get on a Zoom call with them. This is, you know, be very respectful of privacy laws and licensure requirements. This is why I said trying to find someone in your state because most states will consider mentorship a covered service. So a lot of the SLPs out there offering coaching services for a fee, could be breaking licensing laws, right? So a lot of states will consider mentorship a clinical service. Um, you may need to engage in more formal relationships with a mentor in terms of non-disclosure agreements, agreements with your employer, licensing, um, being licensed in each other's states. There's, there's sometimes some red tape, but embracing the silver lining of the pandemic of virtual communication which I think a lot of people would have balked at two and a half. What do you mean you want to get on a, on a video call? You want to mm-hmm. FaceTime me? I only do that with my Nana. I'm not doing that with you. That's super weird, right? That's not, the, that there's, that's not a barrier anymore. So we can use resources within our community to provide support to one another. And this is something that we absolutely don't, we don't do enough. Um, finding EBP-based communities to glean information and have virtual conversations. Now, please note that I said EVP virtual communities, which is not a Facebook group. Facebook groups are riddled with ethical violations, misinformation, 
people, you know, providing wrong information, people shaming you for asking a question. Um, a lot of the times Facebook groups are moderated by people who have financial interests in products and don't disclose those financial interests. So be wary of Facebook groups if you're gonna go to those resources to connect with another SLP, maybe connect with another SLP, but move it over to a DM, look, ask for their credentials, ask for their experience, be a savvy consumer of the information that you're consuming, or reach out to other, I know the Med SLP Collective has some online forums and groups, or I mean, just because we're talking, just because we're talking about voice, reaching out to some of these true knowledge brokers who are independently and without bias disseminating EBP related information is a, is a great place to start. Consuming CEUs on a topic is also really great, but again, that's the knowledge and not the skill. And sometimes even having one conversation with a more experienced clinician to ask your three questions. Okay, so they, I read this article, I took this CEU, I applied it, but then X, Y, and Z happen and I don't know what to do next. One 15, 20 minute conversation with an experienced SLP who does nothing but specialize in your problem can be so incredibly helpful. And I say that because I had, I'm very spoiled. I had that person, that person was Amy and I had, and I was friends with her and I had access to her all the time. And I asked for about a million things. So it's a really wonderful experience to have that mentoring relationship. And I encourage everyone to, to try because we have these virtual platforms now and most people are really nice and willing to share their knowledge. Yeah, I, I really like that. And I'm a part of the Med SLP Collective. And Teresa is actually going to be one of our guests on She's the so great. She's awesome. Yes. She's so and great. I had a couple of questions in the, in the group. And then I was intimidated to ask the questions because I'm like, mm-hmm. I feel so stupid because I don't know. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because and it of was shame like, and guilt. We have a exactly, culture of shame exactly. and guilt, mm-hmm. and which is a huge problem and, I, and a barrier to learning. Yes. And I have no doubt that in that particular group, they would have been very helpful and kind, but there was still that fear from other groups that I've witnessed that mm-hmm. uh, shame and guilt <laughs> happening. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's a great um, suggestion. I, and I wish I had that idea. Well, that was pre, pre-pandemic. So I wouldn't have had that as easily as, as we do now. Okay. All right. Uh, where can our audience find out more about you? So SLP Nerdcast has, I don't have any personal social media accounts because if you haven't already guessed, I have a love-hate relationship with that (laughs) modality. But professionally, we have a website, www.slpnerdcast.com. People can email us anytime at info at slpnerdcast.com. We are a really tiny company. It's just four of us, five of us now. And we respond to all of our emails. We read all of the feedback. So if anybody has questions, they can feel free to reach out to me anytime. We're also on Instagram at SLP Nerdcast and on Facebook as well. Thank you so much for doing this with us today. Thank you so much for having me. This was a really wonderful conversation. 